Section 24 of Little Journeys to the Homes of Great Musicians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maggie Travers. Little Journeys to the Homes of Great Musicians by Albert Hubbard. Chapter 12 Johannes Brahms, Part 2. Schumann's article, New Paths, at once determined Brahms' career. He must either live up to the mark that had been set for him, or else run away. I give below an extract from Robert's estimate of Brahms and his work. Ten years have passed away, as many as I formerly devoted to the publication of this paper, since I have allowed myself to commit my opinions to this soil so rich in memories. Often, in spite of an overstrained productive activity, I have felt moved to do so. Many new and remarkable talents have made their appearance, and a fresh musical power seemed about to reveal itself among the many aspiring artists of the day, even if their compositions were only known to the few. I thought to follow with interest the pathways of these elect. There would, there must, after such a promise, suddenly appear one who should utter the highest ideal expression of the times, who should claim the mastership by no gradual development, but burst upon us fully equipped, as Minerva sprang from the brain of Jupiter. And he has come, this chosen youth, over whose cradle the graces and heroes seem to have kept watch. His name is Johannes Brahms. He comes from Hamburg, where he has been writing in quiet obscurity, instructed by an excellent, enthusiastic teacher in the most difficult principles of his art, and lately introduced to me by an honored and well-known master. His mere outward appearance assures us that he is one of the elect. Seated at the piano, he discloses wondrous regions. We were drawn into an enchanted circle. Then came a moment of inspiration which transformed the piano into an orchestra of wailing and jubilant voices. There were sonatas, or rather veiled symphonies, songs whose poetry revealed itself without the aid of words, while throughout them all reigned a vein of deep song melody, several pieces of a half-demonical character, but of charming form. Then sonatas for piano and violin, string quartets, and each of these creations so different from the last that they appeared to flow from so many different sources. Then, like an impetuous torrent, he seemed to unite these streams into a foaming waterfall. Over the tossing waves the rainbow presently stretches its peaceful arch, while on the banks butterflies flit to and fro, and the nightingale warbles her song. Whenever he bends his magic wand towards great works, and the powers of orchestra and chorus lend him their aid, still more wonderful glimpses of the ideal world will be revealed to us. May the highest genius help him onward. Meanwhile, that of another genius, that of modesty, seems to dwell within him. His comrades greet him at his first step in the world, where wounds may, perhaps, await him but the bay and the laurel also. We welcome this valiant warrior. Robert Schumann had been before the public as an essayist, poet, pianist, and composer for twenty years. He had given himself without stint to almost every musical enterprise of Germany, and his sympathy was ever on tap for every needy and aspiring genius. You may give your purse, he who takes it trash, 
but to give your life's blood and then hope for a renewal of life's lease is vain the public man owes to himself and to his maker the duty of reserve the desert and mountain are very necessary to the individual who gives himself to the public that any man should so bestride the narrow world like a colossus that the multitude must stop to gaze and thousands feed upon his words is an abnormal condition the only thing that can hold the balance true is solitude relaxation is the first requirement of strength watch the cat the tiger or the lion asleep see what complete absence of intensity what perfect relaxation it is all a preparation for the spring schumann had not sought the mountain nor abandoned himself to the woods in old shoes corduroys and a flannel shirt now he was paying the penalty of publicity virtue had gone out of him and in the article just quoted there are signs that he is clutching for something he hails this new star and proclaims him because in some way he feels that the ruddy valiant and youthful brahms is to consummate his work brahms is an extension of himself it is a part of that longing for immortality we perpetuate ourselves in our children and look for them to accomplish what we have been unable to do johannes brahms was the spiritual son of robert schumann in less than a year after brahms and schumann first met there were ominous signs and evil portents in the air why do you play so fast dear johannes i beg of you be moderate cried robert on one occasion brahms turned and with his quick glance caught the ashy face and bloodshot eyes of a sick man his reply was a tear and a hand grasp soon to schumann all music was going at a gallop and in his ears forever rang the sound of a he could hear naught else tenderness patience and even love were of no avail indeed love is not exempt from penalty the law of compensation never rests nature forever strives for a right adjustment the richness and intensity of schumann's life were bought with a price the first year after his marriage he composed one hundred and thirty-eight songs sonatas scherzos symphonies and ballads followed fast and in it all his gifted wife had gloried but when in eighteen hundred fifty four robert had after sleepless nights in a fit of frenzy thrown himself into the rhine and had been rescued shattered unable to recognize even his nearest friends the loyal and devoted wife saw where she herself had erred writing to brahms she says i encouraged him in his work and this fired his ambition to do and to become oh why did i not restrain that intensity and send him away into the solitude to be a boy to do nothing but frolic and play and bathe in the sunshine and eat and sleep the life of an artist is death kill ambition my brother activity and rest both are needed the idea of the retreat in the catholic church is founded on stern hygienic science wagner's forced exile was not without its advantages and the retreats of pagini and the retirements of Leitz were very useful factors in the devolution of their art for the malady that beset robert schumann there was no cure save death his only rest the grave when his spirit passed away in eighteen hundred fifty six 
his devoted wife and the loyal Brahms attended him. Owing to the insidious creeping of the disease, Schumann's affairs had got into bad shape, and it was now left to Brahms, more than all others, to smooth the way of life for the stricken wife and her fatherless brood. The versatility and sturdy common sense of Brahms were now in evidence. In business affairs he was ready, decisive, and systematic, and the delicacy, tact, and charming good nature he ever showed revealed the man as a most extraordinary figure. Great talent is often bought at a price. How well we know this, especially with musicians. But Brahms was sane on all subjects. He could take care of his own affairs, lend a needed hand with others, but never meddle, smile with that half-sardonic grimace at all foolish little things, weep with the stricken when calamity came. Yet above it all the little man towered, carrying himself like the giant that he was and yet he never made the mistake of taking himself too seriously. "'I am trying to run opposition to Michelangelo's Moses,' he once called to Dietrich, as he leaned out of the window in the sunshine and stroked his flowing beard. In his later years many have testified to this Jove-like quality that Brahms diffused by his presence. No one could come into his aura and fail to see his sense of power. Around such souls is a sacred circle— if you are allowed to come within this boundary, it is only by sufferance. Within this space only the pure in heart can dwell. Tolstoy, in Anna Karina, speaks of that quiet and constant light to be seen on the faces of those who are successful, those who know that their success is acknowledged by the world. Brahms was a successful man by temperament, for success, like East Aurora, is a condition of the mind. There is no tragedy for those who do not accept tragedy, and the treatment we receive from others is only our own reflected thought. Brahms thought well of everybody, if he thought of anyone at all. He reveled in the sunshine, and everywhere made friends of children. We saw Brahms on the hotel veranda at Domondosola, wrote a young woman to me in 1895, and what do you think? He was on all fours with three children on his back, riding him for a horse. For many years Brahms used to make an annual pilgrimage to Italy, and often on these tours at fairs he would fall in with gypsy bands. At such times he would always stop and listen, and would lustily applaud the performance. On one such occasion, Dietrich tells, the leader recognized Brahms and instantly rapped for silence. He was seen to pass the whispered word along, and then the band struck up one of Brahms' pieces, greatly to the delight of the composer. He was a man of the people, and I'm glad to know that he hated a table de haute, smiled a smile of derision at all dress coats, and had small sympathy with pink tees, loved his friends, doted on babies, and was never so happy as when in the country, walking along grass-grown lanes in the early summer morning, when the dew was on and the air was melodious with the song of birds. He had a habit of going bareheaded, carrying his hat in his hand, and on these country walks, always with bared head, he would sing or whistle, and unconsciously in his mind the music would be taking shape that was to be written out later in the quiet of his study. Brahms knew the world, not simply one little part of it, he knew it as thoroughly as any man can, and was interested in it all. He knew the world of workers, the toilers and bearers of burden. 
he knew the weak and the vicious and his heart went out to them in sympathy for he knew his own heart and realized the narrow margin that separates the so-called good from the alleged bad he knew that sin is only a wrong expression of life and reacts to the terrible disadvantage of the sinner he was interested in mechanics bookbinding printing ironworking carpentry and was well acquainted with all new inventions and labor-saving devices he knew the methods of farming the different breeds of cattle he knew what soil would produce best a certain crop and understood rotation he could call the wild birds by name and imitate their notes and studied long their haunts and habits that excellent man and talented george herschel in a letter to a friend speaks of walking with johannes brahms along the highway and brahms suddenly calling in alarm look out look out you may kill it it was only a tumble-bug but he shrank from putting foot on any living thing brahms reverenced all life and felt in his heart that he was brother to that bug in the dust to the birds that chirped in the hedgerows and to the trees that lifted their outstretching branches to the sun he was deeply religious although he never knew it all music is a hymn of praise a song of thanksgiving a chant of faith music is a making manifest to our dull ears the divine harmony of the universe and thus all music is sacred music and all true musicians are priests for by their ministrations we are made to realize our oneness with the whole through music we read the universal music is the only one of the arts that cannot be prostituted to a base use we hear of bad books of the index expurgatorius and in every state there are laws against the publication of immoral books and indecent pictures we also hear of orders issued by the courts requiring certain statues to be removed or veiled but no incident can be brought against music it is the only one of the arts that is always pure brahms realized this and felt the dignity of his office holding high the standard and yet he knew that the toilers in the fields were doing a service to humanity just as necessary as his own and possibly this is why he uncovered walking with bared head all is holy all is good it is all god's world and all the men and women in it are his children for forty-two years brahms was the devoted friend of clara schumann she was thirteen years his senior yet their spirits were as children together from the first he was to her johannes and she was clara to him a few of their letters have been published in the revue des demons and this woman who was a great-grandmother and had sixty years before captured a world then in her seventy-fifth year wrote to her dear johannes with all the gentle fervor of a girl of twenty congratulating him on some recent success in reply he writes back to his dear clara in gracious banter mentions rheumatism in his legs as an excuse for bad penmanship hopes she is keeping up her practice tells of a steinway grand that someone has sent him and regrets that she does not come to try it for hands as he has failed utterly to get out of it alone the melody that he knows is there brahms never married the bond between himself and clara was too sacred to allow another to sever or share it and yet the relationship was so high so frank so openly avowed that no breach of scandal has ever smirched it the purity and excellence of it all has been its own apology as love ever should be its own excuse for being 
for about three months every year these two friends dwelt near each other together they worked composed sang read wrote and roamed the woods none of madame schumann's children is as young as she is wrote dr hanslick when clara was sixty and johannes was forty-seven with the hope of passing for her father brahms is cultivating a patriarchal beard continues hanslick in his essay on friendship emerson speaks of the folly of forcing our personal presence on the friend we love best and of the faith that ideality brings something of this thought is shown in the letters of madame schumann to brahms and in his to her often for six months they would not meet he doing his work in his own way she doing hers but each ever conscious of the life and love of the other feeding on the ideal writing or not writing but glorying in each other's triumphs lives linked first by the love of a third person cemented by dire calamity and then fused by a oneness of hope and aspiration brahms nature was too decidedly masculine that is to say one-sided to exist without the love of a woman clara schumann gentle generous motherly plastic needed johannes no less than he needed her when clara's spirit passed away in may eighteen hundred ninety six brahms attended her funeral at frankfurt hero that he was in body and spirit the shock unnerved him no rebound came every bodily facility seemed to have lost its buoyancy the doctors tried to cheer him by telling him that he had no organic ailment and that twenty years of life and work were before him he knew better and told them so men do not live any longer than they wish to shall i live to see the anniversary of her death asked brahms of the doctor in march eighteen hundred ninety seven oh undoubtedly you can live many years if you only will to was the answer three weeks later on april third max kalbrick telegraphed to widman this message brahms fell asleep early this morning so here endeth little journeys to the homes of great musicians being volume fourteen of the series as written by elbert hubbard edited and arranged by fred ban borders and initials by roycroft artist and produced by the roycrofters at their shops which are in east aurora erie county new york nineteen twenty two end of section twenty four recording by maggie travers in casilla mississippi End of Little Journeys to the Homes of Great Musicians by Albert Hubbard